His name is Heston Blumenthal. He's boldly gone where no one has gone before in the world of food for 25 years. And now he's invited us along for the ride. My name's Jay Taylor. I've been Heston's TV producer for many years now. And I'm your host as we explore the amazing universe of food with Heston. And on today's show, this is ground control to Major Heston. Take your protein pills and put your helmet on as we're exploring space food, revisiting Heston's adventures making food for the International Space Station and seeing what the future of cooking in space might mean for all of us. So without further ado, let's meet the man who is always floating in a very peculiar way, the star man himself, Heston Blumenthal. Hello, Heston. Beam me up, JT. <laughs> took, me two, took me two weeks to think about that one. And hello, hello, ground control, James. Hello, Major Tom. <laughs> hello, chaps. Can you hear us, Major Tom? Oh, sorry, oh. listeners. We've really. Uh, the, the thing is, if we start off this level, we could, things can only get better. Very well, now we will prove that one wrong immediately. I was going to say space, the final frontier. Then thought, well, space is it the final frontier? Because you can keep on going smaller and smaller and smaller. What about? I'm talking about microbes. I'm mentioning this because I'm opening a loop to space and gravity and water and our microbiome. There we are. The microbes, the, the microbes in the microbes in the microbes, which also are, interestingly enough, subjected or influenced by microgravity. But we'll come on to that. I'll just, let's park it there. That's, that's just, you can bring that up somewhere later in the discussion. We'll leave that floating next to us in, in microgravity. I, I was, I was, before we came on, I was briefly Googling around because I was thinking, well, I remember growing up thinking about space food and all all those sci-fi films I remember watching. Space food was always pills. And the only good thing I remember was Star Trek, where you could push a button, it would make anything you wanted in a little, you know, sort of 3D printer type thing. Yeah. But it, all that sci-fi technology, and it was always just... Oh, oh no, there was the rehydrated pizza in Back to the Future. That looked quite cool, where it started out the same size as a 10-pence piece and then became gigantic. I quite like that oh, one. Oh, yeah, and then us general public got... Um, they had the opportunity to buy freeze-dried ice cream as designed by NASA. Apparently, that was just a complete... I mean, it, it didn't happen. It might, it might have been one attempt, but it didn't happen. Yeah, well, it certainly happened, but it wasn't for space, was it? No, I had, I had this Dr. Seuss book all about me. And you had to write how many steps you've got in your house and maybe how many forks there were in your drawer and how, how many mirrors. And then you write a story. And I, my story was literally... I came across this, because all my stuff's in storage... Last year, I must have been 30, no, I was probably six or seven years old. And I said, they entered this rocket. It could go anywhere, absolutely anywhere in the universe. It could even go to Ireland. <laughs> wow. It's amazing. I mean, obviously, Ireland was a very, you know, mystical, faraway land. Quick update before we before we, we head off to outer space. Obviously, last week, we were having some uh, lovely questions coming in from people out there. And Matt sent in the game that I've been playing since, and I know you've been thinking about as well, which was the Full House of Red. So uh, a reminder for anyone who didn't hear this, Matt out there plays this game where you basically look at the nutrition advice on the front of the packets of food over here, where they have to have four labels. And each label is a traffic light system of uh, green, amber, and red, depending how unhealthy it is. And Matt challenged us to try and come up with four reds. He said he's found plenty of three reds and one amber. But could we come up with four reds? And he's right. I haven't. I've been spending a lot of time in the supermarket, pottering around, and I cannot find four bloody reds. I've found f three reds and an amber, like chocolate cake, pistachios. There's loads out there, but there's no four reds. So um, someone has to find four reds for us. But I was I was reading an interesting study, uh, 
where that basically it was a it was a from somewhere that sounds not they know what they're talking about an international journal of behavioral nutrition and physical activity the reason i mention it is they did a study on people and these little traffic light systems and apparently the red uh, labels have a lot more influence on what people buy than the green ones do so people don't really care if they've got green on them they just care if they've got red and to avoid them which i thought was was quite interesting as well i think it's a reflection on modern on on, on modern life really that we become more driven more by being fearful about what can happen than being motivated by what can happen if you see what i mean you know it's a sort of positive and negative so it's a it's attraction and distra- um, no attraction and hang on a second what's the opposite of attraction you attract and you retract <laughs> What is it? Repel. That's it. Thank you, James. <laughs> oh, yeah. Repulsion. Attraction and bananas. Um, so attraction and... Re- and, and re- think about our dating, yeah. think about our dating lives it. and you'll get the Attraction other. and repulsion. And I think that we, we, we are more influenced by repulsion um, as a result of our lives becoming more uh, comfortable in many ways. You know, we used to worry about the big stuff in life the big things we're more worried about the small things and we're more worried about the future which takes us away from the present so it's an interesting point it makes sense to me that actually that the red although you can argue that there was this um professor japanese professor imoto who um, did a lot of work on on water and vibrational energy how whether it's a sound or an emotion or sunlight or music or sounds we can and can't hear everything vibrates so Water is the medium for transferring all these vibrations. Without water, there would be no life on Earth. There would be no interconnectivity, all that kind of stuff. And he did an interview I saw once where he was talking about cigarettes. Now, he didn't smoke, um, uh, but he said that the smoking kills on a packet of cigarettes is, in fact, more potentially more damaging than the cigarette themselves because if somebody doesn't if somebody knows they're smoke they're smoking and they feel that this is not good for them and they should stop smoking if you tell somebody to stop smoking or stop worrying or stop you can't it's not that easy for people just to stop so you buy a packet of cigarettes the government have no problem selling the cigarettes but they put this is going to kill you on it but they'll take your money and they'll take the tax and take the duty so you've got this battle between if you're if you're a smoker yourself and the smoking so the cigarette you're paying money for a packet to tell you you're going to kill yourself so you then generate more anxiety but you still smoke and that was his point so it's, it's an interesting like you know this that, that red the red uh, those signs can actually in theory generate more anxiety I think this has to be the addition to the Full House of Reds challenge. And I think we not only have to find a Full House of Reds, but then eat it as well and enjoy every well, morsel yeah. of it. We'll and bring it on the podcast and we'll eat it. We should also try some a Full House of Greens because maybe that's equally, I don't know, I've no idea because I'd never really looked at the, the I mean, I look at the, some of the ingredients, sugar levels and stuff like that and ingredients. But in terms of the, those, the, the traffic light system, I've never looked at it. So maybe is our four green lights... Um, I can imagine, you know, a courgette might get four green lights or, you know, a vegetable, an artichoke. Mm. But in that state, how much pleasure will it give us to eat it? So do we have to then imagine a story around it like the mindful raisin 
um, story that we did. To, to Do you make... think they put them on vegetables? They put those nutritional things I don't on, know. Been... on uncooked <clears throat> stuff, or is so we should look, we should we should try go for at least you know if we can't get four reds and four greens, we could go for three reds and an amber and three greens and an amber. I don't know, and then we could maybe have a just who knows? I mean, we can suck it in the sea or <laughs> chomp it in the sea. <laughs> James, is, you can see James has got these immediately on this. He's like, oh, four greens. Well, I'm thinking, <laughs> well, I think for me, if you, you said courgette, I, I immediately thought of little gem lettuce or something, a little packet. You know, I don't know, but you know, you're right. I don't know if they have those on. He's on... useless. You know, the little white on those little gems and other lettuces, there's like a white liquid. It's like a um, like a chalky. When you cut through the, the vein of the lettuce, you can see sometimes a little bit of white. I can't remember the name of it. But if you eat enough of that, it, it has a soporific effect. Hence the soporific bunnies in um, Beatrix Potter. They gorged on, um, on lettuce so much that they went all soporific and sleepy. As you know, on this podcast, in the world of Heston in general, multi-sensory experiences are the most wonderful things that we can do to engage our minds and bodies. And there is a brand new immersive experience coming up, which we thought you'd be really interested in. It's called Jeff Wayne's The War of the Worlds, The Immersive Experience. It's a new, completely unique, award-winning event where live actors, virtual reality and sensational 5D effects place you inside the action and the story with Jeff Wayne's multi-platinum musical version of The War of the Worlds as your soundtrack. Yes, this feels really exciting. Basically, all your senses are going to be fired as you crawl, slide and weave your way through 22,000 square feet of immersive action, featuring 24 extraordinary scenes from the sighting of the first capsule to the arrival of a 300-foot Martian fighting machines. And of course, the evacuation of London. There's a cast of 17 characters in this, featuring 12 live actors and a mix of holograms and projections. And it's been voted London's favourite immersive night out. And the great news is the experience reopens this summer from the 22nd of May. And it's all be completely COVID protocoled. You go around in small groups and the whole thing has been overseen. You can enjoy this immersive experience right now. And it's been having some incredible reviews. I'm very excited about going to see this because it does sound excellent. And the great news is we can give you a discount on your ticket prices. Now, what you need to do is you need to go to www thewaroftheworldsimmersive.com from where you'll be able to access tickets and press the buy now button that links through to the ticketing site and then once you're there you'll be able to enter the discount code HESTON and get up to £10 off your tickets and you can be going out there and meeting the Martians up close and personal as you enter the immersive Jeff Wayne's War of the World experience. I've just had another idea for a game. You guys are going to hate me for this. <laughs> not not you guys listening. You guys might love it listening. How about we have a we have a podcast where and these have to be foods that people actually eat somewhere. Well, they have to be foods. So I bet you can't eat this. So people can listen to us collectively tasting something which is so repellent for our own cultural taste buds and they can listen to a squirm why would you say that i don't know i don't know no, i just why, the words why? Out my i've mouth. eaten so much horrible stuff with it oh Let's, that bloody sour sweet we had last week well the week before last was bad enough oh, we've done oh my oh, how, right but let's yeah. have that for a podcast are there any are there any rules to this? Well, I mean, I, I mean, it, it has, has to, to be, be within it. Does it have to be? Does it have to be food? A, a recognisable food? Yes. Stuff? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, good, good disclaimer yeah, there. Because, we don't there want to... 
<laughs> I mean, if you take the principle that there's no food intrinsically or inherently disgusting because nobody would eat it. However, Jay, as you and I know, we've been, well, sea urchins, I love sea urchins, you see, but we, uh, we went to Iceland and we ate, I mean, a handful of foods that I would never really want to put in my mouth again. Uh, but, but yes. some people <laughs> eat them. If, it, if a food was inherently or, or intrinsically disgusting, then it wouldn't be a food. Nobody would eat it. So as long as it is not got a government health warning on it, that one mouthful could actually cause, uh, you know, anaphylactic shock or something like Irreparable that. Irreparable damage. Let, I think that we should do it. I think it would be a laugh. We could share the All pain. All right. Oh, honestly. Okay, so at Heston's well. podcast on Instagram, Heston's <laughs> podcast <laughs> at Gmail. While Your you're there, is do, not going to thank you yeah. for this. <laughs> do subscribe and rate because we may not be around for much longer. So please do do join in. And yeah, we're probably looking to you, Scandinavia. You're going to be responsible. So do send us some things over. And yes, as Heston's put it out there now, so we will... We will try this, which I'm really looking forward to. I'm enjoying the candy episodes. I'm not, I'm not so keen on the <laughs> fermented shark or whatever. <laughs> Do you remember those weird things you gave? What were those weird things you gave me before in France, which you you were very pleased about? And there was some kind of weird thing that grew out the bum of a grasshopper or something. That's a cordyceps. They're they're unbelievable. Cordyceps are meant to be incredible. They have an incredible um, oxygen retaining or boosting effect in the body. So so. Um, the cordyceps, for example, from Bhutan, uh, they can go for, we, I think, James, we saw a packet in Singapore Airport, a little, you know, with sort of gold leaf on the box. It was like $7,000 for a little, but they look, they look, basically what happens is a worm or a form of a caterpillar lays its eggs in the ground. And um, it, it goes into roots and then from the top, another caterpillar comes up and, the, and it's, a, it's a mushroom. So these cordyceps, have this ability to get inside insects and overtake insects to control their behavior and stuff like that. They are unbelievable. If anyone's interested, just have a look at these mushrooms, cordyceps mushrooms. Um, but they're highly prized from a uh, health point of view. Uh, from a cooking point of view, one, they're so expensive. And secondly, they're not the most ple- pleasant of tastes. Don't eat too many because uh, you could feel a bit dizzy. Um, but they're very interesting. And they do come with an attached insect, don't they? <laughs> yeah. That was the yes. you, get, you get the insect for free. Yes. The insect's just thrown in for free. It's like a kinder, a kinder surprise. There's three things in one. Thankfully, for now, I suggest we leave the disgusting foods on planet Earth. Let's head out into outer space. So to give a bit of context to this, God knows, it must be about five or six years ago now, probably even longer yeah. than that. Um, it all started way back. Uh, we... Heston and I had a very good relationship with the Science Museum. We'd done lots of work with them on various different uh, exhibitions and content and things like that. And uh, through that, we got introduced to the guys who looked after the UK Space Agency. And this was a big deal because Tim Peake was due to be heading up to the International Space Station about a year and a half later than that. And I got into conversations with the head of... um, press and marketing and and astronaut services they had lots of hats there and he was really interested and excited about doing something to raise awareness of tim's mission and all the various things like that so um we got involved and heston uh, helped with tim champion a competition for kids to design food for space because it was very interesting and kids always ask the same thing what do you eat and where do you go to the toilet um but off the back of that then we started thinking well what if we actually did do new space food for Tim to take up up there. And we put Heston and Tim together 
and the project kind of began from there. So I'll, I'll, I'll hand it over to you, Heston, and how it, how it all took off from that point. Well, I, I mean, I yeah, obviously as a kid, going back to my spaceship that could even go to Ireland, um, you know, if somebody said to me I was going to be a chef when I grew up, I would have not believed them. If they said to me I was going to cook food for not only an astronaut, but the first British astronaut in space, of course, that would have been, that'd be ridiculous. And then if they told them that some of my food was going to explode on a rocket going to going to space as well, um, and then another one would then dock, and these tins of food would go into and be eaten, and I'd have and I'd share a meal with Tim in the space station while I was in the in the control center. Complete stuff of dreams. However, you know this turned into reality, and then I started to look at this, and, and I thought more about you know, the, the, the billions of pounds that's been invested in space travel. And, and you know, some people can argue that it's actually futile it's, it, when there's starving people in the world. You know, why do, what, is this self-indulgent? Why do we want to control space? But in fact, if you think about, you know, the benefits of that investment, we're having this podcast. We're connecting through, you know, satellite signals, telephones, communication, all of these things are, are, are been as a result of, of space travel. And in fact, it's when you start to remove things, a bit like there's some, some of the most um, valuable breakthroughs in neuroscience have been studying people that have had certain, for example, um, certain parts of the brain have been damaged, either in an accident or for whatever reason. So when that part's been removed, you, then you can, you can look at the effect of it. Whereas when you've got all the stuff together, you're not quite sure which which is, you know, the interconnection of all the elements, parts of the brain obviously make the whole. But when you start to remove a part, you can see what's what's missing and then learn more about it. So when you start, to, when you go into, into space, obviously one of the major changes is gravity. And when you remove gravity, you start to learn even more about the effect of gravity. This is just one area. Um, and for me, I started to think about this. Well, there's six people in this space station. It's, it's controlled by thousands of people. Massive investment. They, they don't fly it around like Star Trek. You know, it's, it's very, it, it's in orbit. Um, and it's very, very carefully controlled and monitored. It costs so much money. Every second of, their, of, the, of the, the astronaut's time is, you know, is, is, is controlled because they need to try and maximize their planned research. Uh, while they're up there and one thing that really looking into this have been sort of somehow not really given the weight it should be is one of the most important things in our life that we do to survive and that's food that we consume not only the food that we consume but what happens to our bodies when we consume it space food was like a was like a it was like a necessary evil to feed these human beings and the reason the human beings are up there is because they can do things that no computer can do. They are satellites that, that, are, that are unmanned, um, unmanned um, spacecraft that are sent all through over the universe. They're unmanned and they get really key important information. But how you don't know the effect on human beings unless you stick a human being up there. They treated them very. It's a very military approach, wasn't it? it? it they is. treated them like they treated them like soldiers almost. Food was a, a relevancy just to keep them full of energy. Yeah, exactly. And I think going forward, what will happen with space research? Um, I'd, I'd love to do more on this. You know, very relevant now. And there's more and more talk about um, about mental health 
and all diseases related to mental health, which range from uh, mental health being you know stress and anxiety, for example, from Alzheimer's to to cancer, from dementia to Parkinson's, multiple sclerosis to psoriasis and rheumatoid arthritis, for example. Now that's an inflammation of our immune system which affects our microbiome diversity. So there is the food that we consume, but when we swallow it, you know, we're 70, 70 plus percent water like the rest of the planet. You've seen what happens to water in space, in, in, a, in, a, in, the, in the spacecraft. It forms this sphere. So that is going to have an effect, a significant effect on our internal system. And our emotions drive our behavior and our behavior drives our emotions. So what effect does that have on, on our emotional well-being and vice versa? And that's still something that I think, I think that's a good, for me, is a major future part of research. Now, after Tim, I'll come back to Tim in a second, but after Tim went, we tried to get some of this, Tim to test his taste buds on, on, on Earth and in space and try and make a relevant difference. But by that time, our, you know, the work that we were doing for him was slotted into a very well-organized pattern of development and the occupation of his time on, on, the, on the space station. But in 2015, there was two twins, um, um, I can't remember the name, Kelly, Scott and Mark Kelly. Kelly, Kelly's. Kelly brothers. And yeah. they uh, looked at their microbiome. So the 120, by the way, there's more bacteria in each one of us than there are stars in the solar system, in the universe. More inside each other. So we think of us, we're, we're vessels, we're, we're our own universe inside. 120 trillion. So these little creatures and the diversity and the way that they interact is a universe in itself. And we feed them. We consume the planet and they consume the planet and then things inside them consume what they what we consume that they consume etc etc uh, and they noticed that there was significant changes some of it was down to radiation and some of it or a lot of it was down to what they call microgravity so there's never nothing and in might you need water and gravity is there gravity without water and water without gravity i don't think anyone really knows yet however um that relationship between water and gravity is, is is really important so coming back to tim we thought well why don't we try using the fact that food smell sound particularly smell is the biggest trigger of memory of all of the senses and i can't think of any place you could be more removed psychologically mentally from planet earth than being up in the space station orbiting the earth basically so there's you're six people, all from different countries, different cultures. You're away from your home and your loved ones and your family. So why don't we try and use Tim's taste and flavor preferences and some of his childhood memories or family memories where food shared with loved ones as inspiration for some dishes that we were going to make him. So that was our general premise. Let's try and keep Tim rooted to planet Earth and the people that he loves and that love him through the food that he's eating and what he's smelling and what he's what he's seeing at the same time. And then, with that great idea in mind, which was wonderful and had never been considered before, we were given the rule book. <laughs> and I don't think either of us have ever seen anything like that. I mean, the the sheer volumes of paperwork and 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 incredibly tight restrictions on how the food has to be made, where the food has to be made, 
were at the beginning overwhelming, weren't they? They sort of just squashed so many kind of ambitions right down to what it had to be made in. Yeah, I mean, I think first we were talking, there we had the choice, didn't we, of tinned or, or vacuum bags. Vacuum bags were in, Ita- in an Italian factory. Uh, tins were in a French factory in Brittany. So we thought, well, the vacuum, the, the, the bags were the food processing to required to, to, for, for the bags was a lot less aggressive than, than the canning, the, the temperature, the time and pressure in the can. So we, let's go down the bag route. And then fairly far down the line with our recipes, as we were working with Tim, what, you know, child of memories, how much he likes chili and spicy things and salt thresholds and sugar thresholds and all of this stuff. We then got the bombshell that our recipes were, were <clears throat> first they were too complicated. Then we went to simplify them and they said, no, you can't. We, we, we decided you, they've got to be in tins. But we'd lost a couple of months of development time. And it took, and we had, and, and we had what we thought was an eternity of development time on this. We had a year and a half and they said, no, it's going to be two years to get these approved. And you're just like, you're kidding me, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, completely. And, and then in addition, France, okay, we've got to go to France. It wasn't a case of getting the train or, you know, flying to Paris or Lyon or somewhere nice and easy from a, on a, on a, you know, going from Heathrow. Oh no, it was in Brittany, which is beautiful in areas it is. There's no flights anywhere near there. There were no flights. And the car, the car journey was, was basically like a day and a half. And we had, we had food to take over there. We had a team to put in place. Oh, you're bringing back some, some, um, yeah, there was some some very pressurised memories, actually. There was only basically two approved factories in the whole of Europe to make this space food. And as I said, one was in Italy and the other one was in the middle of absolutely nowhere in France. And it was like, we had no idea why it had to be there. But again, when you're messing with the space agencies, there is no negotiation. This is no. the way it is done. And if you don't want to do it this way, you ain't doing it. So we had to get over to Brittany and as Heston said it was a two-day journey to get there and two-day journey to get back so the only way we could get Heston there was on board a private plane now this sounds incredibly extravagant but let me just put into context a little bit about this private plane so on a tv on a channel 4 budget we're like how the hell are we going to do this and once we figured out that was the only way to do it we went to a, a sort of really dodgy sort of little tiny airport somewhere north of London and got on board a tiny little propeller plane with me squeezed in the back, yeah. you in the front with the Dutch lady pilot, yeah. and bounced our way over the channel for a good couple of hours. And do you remember in the back, they had they had in-flight food, which I she said, turn around. And I turned around, there was a little wicker basket behind me, and I opened it, and they had... Um, what do they have? The pate and wine. And I was, I was feeling a bit queasy in the back. And I, yeah. you were in the front having a gay old time. You're like, pass me this. And I was just like a butler, just passing think, me wine. And well, I was like, oh. God. I think that was the, the, the I think that we benefited from from having a TV company behind us. So I think they would have probably wanted to. Put, I mean, the plane was so small. I mean, you couldn't, it, you couldn't fit, you could barely fit two in the back. And um, and that, so that ha- that hamper was, I think, was a. I, I, I cannot imagine. It was it was it was a complete paradox, really. I remember. I think it helped the flight. It helped the bumps and the the, the, the bumps and the wobbles. It wasn't a pleasant flight, was it? It wasn't exactly smooth no. smooth sailing. And then we got to when we were in France. You had, I mean, bless your development chefs as well were there with you. But you had only a few days to experiment because 
Explain a bit about the canning process and why the food needed to be made in the cans and what that actually means and why, why the space agencies are so keen on that. So the canning process is basically you put your food in a can, then it goes through the, the, the call of what one of the names is a retort. retort. So it's, it's, it, it's a pressurised um, high temperature. So when under pressure, water, you can bring the water bottle at a higher temperature. So I think it was, it was something, it needed to spend something like two to three hours at 130 odd degrees centigrade. So, just to give you an idea, you know, if you if you put a piece of fish, salmon, fillet of salmon in boiling water, after uh, um, at boiling water for five to seven minutes, it it starts to become like a tin of tuna. Now, this was a big problem at first until what we did was start to step back and think, okay, hang on a second, let's try and look as we were scratching our heads, thinking, you know, doom and gloom and. You know, it's a, this is a big problem. And we started thinking, well, you know, why don't we try and look at canned foods differently? So if you think about tinned tomatoes, you make a, 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 a pizza with, with tinned San Marzano tomatoes, that's the crush, that's more of an authentic pizza than using fresh tomatoes. Tinned tuna is not necessarily second rate to fresh tuna, it's just a different product. So. We try to think about this, how we could then use the canning process to benefit from it, as opposed to trying putting a round peg into a square hole, so to, so to speak. However, having said that, we still refused to budge in a few areas and then got beaten into submission by the process. So, for example, <laughs> what, what happens under that sort of heavier, more extreme um, pressure, time and temperature is you get increased moisture migration so if you were to put something dry and something you put your sauce and something dry it, it would depend what would happen it was it would it would if you wanted contrast within the can it was very you had to pick your ingredients very carefully so one of the things i really wanted to do was have the very first bacon sandwich in space because tim bacon sani why did people people who are um who eat meat Hardly any of them dislike bacon sandwiches, and some for some reason I don't know why bacon sarnie can can some vegetarians can be can be potentially turned on a bacon sandwich. So this is so British. He's going to be there with the Russians and the Italians and the French. Let's do bacon sarnie, but it had to be in a tin. So we put the bread in the tin, and then the, the, we made the bacon sandwich. That was the first thing we did: butter, bacon. Um, we, we did another one with with ketchup in it, but. What happened was the bread in the canning process, one, the water went from, came out of the bread and it all sort of mixed together. Then the, then the sugars in the bread started to caramelize. So you ended up with this dark golden tin of mush. So then we tried to put layers of fat between the bread just to try and slow that migration of water. Um, and in fact, it was what, that was, that was a, Going back on this, that was one of our great, I think, feelings of, 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 of success. We managed to get the first bacon sandwich in space. And I remember watching the, um, watching the, uh, uh, doing the edit for the show and Tim eating the bacon sandwich first, before the first edit, he was upside down on the screen. 
eating eating the bacon sandwich and then somebody in the in the production team or the edit team decided to put him the other way the right way up but he's in space and as one astronaut said to me upside down doesn't exist in space the walls and the floor and the ceiling are all the same when when you remove most of the gravitational force you don't know what's up is down and what's down is up what's left is right and right is left so keep him upside down eating the bacon sarnie. He's in space. Also, bread. Uh, you have, you, I think you've slightly brushed over the fact that there was one thing NASA said to us, you are categorically not allowed to do, which is bread. Because any <laughs> crumbs are the absolute devil in the ISS. Yes. Any possible thing that could yeah. get into that air conditioning system could genuinely be dead. Death for the astronauts. Yeah. They said, you cannot do bread. So you completely ignored them. And I remember we were, we were, we were in that, canning place in uh france yeah. and we had some french baguettes there and we were looking and you were looking at them going that's when you had the eureka moment because you were looking at them going well this is the problem look at the crust it's so crunchy but then you took the middle out which was that springy nice middle of french yeah. bread and you went but there's no crumbs in this the way this is made it doesn't crumb it squashes yeah. like a sponge but it doesn't crumb and that's when you went bacon sandwich <laughs> god nasa's face when you told them you're going to do that but there were so many versions and one of the problems going back to the, the actual canning process itself in addition to the canning process i don't remember how long the delay is it was i don't know don't remember how long the delay was maybe you um, maybe you can remember but with the cans then after they'd gone through the cooking process had to sit for a period of time like weeks, maybe a month, six weeks or something, and then be tested for um, micro, basically for, for, for microbacterial activity and, and, and basically making sure, because the last thing you want in a space station is somebody to get food poisoning. I mean, you can't just call the doctor, can you? That was, I'd forgotten about that. That was the thing that almost almost finished me off in terms of this this was so hard this production purely from a logistical perspective yeah and one of the things was after all the battles to get to the point of creating the tin food then they dropped the bombshell on us oh and by the way we're going to need to leave that because the food itself needed to be on the space station for i think a year or a year and a half they said yeah so what we do is we're going to stick that on a shelf now for a yeah. year and a half and then we're going to open it and test it we're like what are you talking about? He goes in six months. They're like, well, yeah, but there's no way around it. It has to be on a shelf for a year and a half. I'm sorry, that's just the way it is. Yeah. And we had to we had to go to another company who could do some kind of accelerated... God, I'm getting horrible flashbacks. Some kind of accelerated testing process. And even then, right to the last minute, the thing that might have completely torpedoed the whole thing was testing its its bacteria levels. That was awful and they kept coming up with those rules yeah. they were like oh by the way you do know you need to stick it on a shelf for two years like, what and another example of the start. how the invisible makes the visible you know you've got this whole this whole massive operation of going to space and we're thwarted by tiny little things we can't see there were a couple of moments where we'd been talking to ESA and then we had to make a big call to NASA and and uh, you know we were given eventually eventually we were given the go ahead but um it was just the fact that you know we'd spent maybe 80% of the way there and then something clear and obvious that wasn't flagged up at the beginning was then thrown at us 
And there were some conversations with our European cousins where, where stuff really does get lost in translation when you are talking to our European cousins about things, especially the, one of the testing places in Italy. Yeah. When, when It took us days to get hold of them because they were never in the office when we were trying to get hold of them. And when eventually they were in, it was all like, yeah, maybe we'll get to it. Maybe We're like, well, when? Maybe next week. Uh. We're like, no, right now. You need to get on with it right now. Because also you don't... You know, you're used to out there in the world of sort of saying, oh, we're doing it for a TV program and it having some weight to help shift things along, get a move on. When you're dealing with NASA and space, they could not give two hoots about a TV show because they're worried about astronauts and exploding space stations and all the stuff that is really important, not the entertainment side of things. So it was, um, yeah, you ended up with potted salmon didn't you which i thought was a really clever way around yeah we did cooking the salmon yeah because that was where the the tinned tuna um kind of thought look at it from that perspective you know if you make a uh take a salad niçoise for example and uh, the 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 original authentic salad niçoise doesn't have seared tuna it's tinned or the french might say confit tuna um and so we looked at it like looked at it from that angle. And why salmon? Because one of Tim's memories was when he was um, he was on a on a training exercise, and I think he showed us a photograph of this. He was by the river, and there was a fire, and I think they caught some salmon. And so that part of his work, you know, obviously he spent years in in in, in the armed services. He that pleasure he got from that salmon and the fire was the inspiration for the tin salmon but then we also looked at the how do we bring in acidity was important apparently we spoke to several um, astronauts who said things like texture and chili um, and um, and acidity are important so we did this tinned salmon with sort of shallots and and, and pickles and stuff like that but that was one of the dishes that uh, that he had. There another one was sausages. Remember the sausage, because he had a memory with his kids going camping and eating sausages by the fire. So we did the sausage sizzle, which I then took up to that zero, which isn't zero gravity flight, which we'll touch on in a second. So that was another one that had had that had that connection connection to his family. Then we made a romantic dinner, which was which the uh, the stew with truffles and stuff in it, which was. Might be, might be. I, I don't know. If, probably someone in Russia's taken caviar up on the space station. I don't know, but I think we'll be right up there with the, with pricey dishes in a can. Now I'm going to pause here at our chats about space because when you're up in the International Space Station, maybe you can let your standards slip a little bit. But down here on Earth, as COVID is slowly starting to ease and we're looking ahead to the summer. Gentlemen, we know we need to start making a bit more of an effort to fight back some of the problems we've been having within our tracksuit bottom wearing induced lockdown and get ourselves summer fit ready and the good thing is one of our sponsors is here to help manscaped they are dedicated to helping you level up your full body grooming game the perfect package 3.0 kit comes with the essential lawn mower a 3.0 waterproof cordless body trimmer and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your grooming routine this is the best trimmer on the market for all of the areas that you might need to shave especially 
below the waterline. You can adjust the settings to get the length you like and you can stay on top of all your male grooming. Inside the perfect packet you'll also find the Manscaped Cropped Preserver, a special deodorant for other areas, and anti-chafing deodorant and moisturiser because we know that once you start grooming you're going to need to look after yourself a little bit. The good news is for a limited time, subscribers can get 20% off and free shipping with the code HESTON at manscaped.com. So do yourself a favour, and as our astronauts would do, use the right tools for the job. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code HESTON at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And use the code HESTON. Can I ask something here? You, you were talking about sort of chilli and acidity being things that the astronauts had said that were really important, but... Do do our taste buds function differently in space? Is that the idea? Does something happen to us, like, like with the airplane, when we talked about airplane food and, and the nasal cavity and all that stuff? I mean, does that happen in space? It, Is that, it does, that but we still don't know enough about it. That's why I wanted, I wanted to try and get some more experiments with Tim. Let's sort of do some stuff on the ground. Let's look at his threshold levels and how does he feel and, you know, whatever the questions might be. And then... I know it's it's not it's it's but it it's not the most advanced form of of scientific research. However, it's a good starter for ten. Make some kind of comparison. <clears throat> there is definitely a difference, uh, and as I said before, I think one of the big differences is is the, the 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 force of gravity. And in fact, two or three of the astronauts we spoke to who had done several missions before said to me, "Do you remember this, Jay?" Where Actually, it was easier to adjust going up to space with microgravity than it was to come back down to Earth. When you come back down to Earth, the difference, you don't realise how powerful gravity is until it gets removed and then put back again. And one of the astronauts said he, when he came, <clears throat> I think the, you know, the pod lands in the sea, he came out and got picked up and he had a watch. He was still wearing that watch quite a nice watch I think as far as I can remember but it's a metal watch uh, uh, metal silver but he said it felt like a lead weight on his wrist and there was another astronaut that said he woke up the first morning or the second morning after he got back to earth he was sort of in this half awake half asleep no man's land where he felt there was something pushing him into the mattress and then he when he kind of woke up realized it was gravity so just getting up, when, when you've got, had it removed, this comes back to what we talked about at the beginning of this podcast, but only when it's removed and then you put it back, you think, my God, we live with gravity, but we can't understand what that's like unless you take it away and then, and then put it back. So that effect would, would, would create all sorts of differences in the way that we perceive taste and flavour. One of the things you notice if you see if you see astronauts being interviewed or, while they're up there, you'll notice their heads look weird and it's because a lot of the fluid, because of again like Heston says, the lack of gravity, the yeah. fluid uh, is not being pulled down. So it actually goes to their heads and pulls in their heads a lot so they get a lot of pressure on their sinuses so they can't smell and uh, subsequently yes. define flavour as well. And also the racket up there I think you experienced it, didn't you Heston? Because we, we did an experiment with it. The, the noise, imagine like an incredibly loud airline all the time. Uh, yeah, yeah, it is all the time. Really, really loud. It distracts from your other perceptions. I remember you put me, you, Jay Taylor, <laughs> you, <laughs> one of those ups. Uh, I don't know. Is a bed. It's like a, it's like a like a massage table on on a on a pivot. So you strap me to it and then tip me upside down, and I had the guys. <laughs> 
feeding me all sorts of things, horseradish, I remember being one of them. So my head, very, very flattering. My head had blown up to, to, to sort of like a balloon. And then I was being fed hot mustard, chili and horseradish. <laughs> Uh, but, which is while, while, while being given the noise of the space station and the smell of engine oil being wafted around your oh, nose yeah, it was uh, uh, yes, I yeah, cutting edge that. science it is <laughs> it, we proved it we proved real science the one thing on that I think that from what I can remember that things like chilli and, and horseradish and mustard you know they can make your eyes water if it's like wasabi or it. that's triggering a nerve that runs across your cheeks and your nose called the trigeminal nerve um, and that's what gives that sensation. And I, I think that isn't, is less effective than some of the other senses. So, you know, to maybe to compensate pushing up the, the, those sorts of elements in, uh, in, um, in the food gives a bit more excitement. And remember that the, the, these tins of food as well were, were sort of special occasion ones. Uh, which then Tim apparently he loved so much he didn't he ate he finished them all off and we had to send some more yeah and that's when I remember this so clearly <laughs> watching filming in Bray you sat me down put the TV on and hearing this American you know um, commentate com- commentary from the control centre in uh, in the states was it Houston it was in uh, probably Houston rocket yeah. was about to take off and it was taking off carrying supplies no people supplies to the space station i'm looking at this thinking my god my food's in here all the food that we've the 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 guys tirelessly worked on and all of the stuff eventually is going it's going to space look so it takes off takes off and then the rocket blew up it blew up on (laughs) on right in front of me on on camera your little face when you saw that (laughs) Yeah, I had no words. I mean, many <laughs> mixed emotions. Thinking, thinking, oh yeah, thank God there's no one on the on the rocket. My food's on there. Oh, why am I thinking so much about me? Why is that important? What about the other? You know, I had this this very fast internal dialogue with myself, and but I didn't really know how to explain how I felt with words because it was such a surreal situation. Until then, after everyone was okay, no one was hurt. Obviously, there was a significant cost. Then. Let's think about us again now. It's all about us. Now, yeah. there's only one... Then of, the swear words you, flow. Yeah. <laughs> then the realisation that they had two <laughs> rockets in tandem or alternating taking supplies up to the space station. Now they only had one, which meant they had to fill more stuff in each rocket, which meant that we lost another one or two months development time. Absolutely. You had to go quicker. You had to go earlier. So yeah. they're suddenly like, quick, quick. We're like, we can't, God help it. And they shoved it up there. Now... We've flown through this actually. We are running out of time, but there is a couple more things I want to just run past you. But finally, I want to end on um, on the experience of eating it with Tim up there. But before that, I did just want to step through. After all the trauma of of getting it up there, getting it made, getting yeah. it filmed, there was one absolutely joyous highlight, which I was very lucky that you and I got to experience together, which was heading up into a plane and experiencing microgravity and and just as a bit of context for people listening uh this is sort of um lovingly called the vomit comet because people throw up a lot on it and they have little astronauts floating around with nets to catch vomit which is a particularly interesting thing but basically it's it's imagine like a normal plane that you'd fly to europe on but they've stripped all the seats out and replaced it with padding and the way it works is it flies up to twenty thousand feet 
they have three pilots in the in the front because it's 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 really hardcore what they do they go up 20,000 feet and when they get there they then turn all the engines off and plummet downwards literally in a death dive for about 25 seconds and then when they get to the bottom of that they slam on the engines pull out of the dive go back up to 20,000 feet and do it again so if you imagine what they're doing it's kind of like a wave if you were looking at the plane um but when you're doing that death dive you are floating you remember filming out of the window the angle of the plane oh i, I mean you, it's 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 i'm exaggerating a bit it's pretty it was pretty close to vertical but it would have been um, 70 to 80 degrees up and then they had a, this Russian astronaut who must have done 30,000 missions who was just standing there to, instructing that we, we were some university, <laughs> uh, some researchers, weren't we? There was about a dozen of us in this padded area on the plane. And it counts down. It, it's going up and up and up and up and up. And then it's the little bit at the top. It's like when you just go like a bumpy, you know, when you go over a bumpy bit in the road as a kid, a little bumpy hill, your stomach, your stomach sort of, that effect but extreme and then they they count down and you're that at that little parabolic that little peak of the wave is when you experience the the microgravity and they count down and then when it, yeah because we're lying down on the floor at this point yeah. everyone's lying down and then and then as you go over you're no longer lying down are you uh then you then up you go and you realize that one little movement you can go flying so you again is the wall the ceiling or the floor, the wall. But if you're against one of the surfaces and then you push, push too hard. I headbutted. I headbutted the other side. And then, when you come down again, as it's going down, the plane is now tilting. It's almost nose diving down to earth, back to earth. They count down. You've got to get on the floor before you hit the trough to come back up again. If not, you can break some bones because you get slammed from, I don't know, you might be sort of six, eight foot in the air. And then when the plane hits that, bang, that bottom. But you pull 2G then as well. You've basically got two, you've got you lying on yourself. I remember vividly at one point on one of the one of the parabolics, you get to do 20 of them. I remember um, one of the instructors came up to me. He floated up to me and said, Oi, get on the ground. And I said, I'm on the ground. He said, no, you're not. And I was sitting on the roof and I didn't realise. And he got me and without, like you said, without even trying, just flips me and sticks me down the round. Well. I was like, oh, bugger, I was upside down. He didn't. It's joyous. Though. I mean, uh, it was, we I got mean, it to was, it was play amazing. around a bit, but I most of the time we were filming. Wobbling off the plane. We Just before the plane also, one of the things we wanted to do, we didn't, they, they someone developed a teacup, which is such a beautiful looking thing. I wanted to have the first cup of tea in space with the bacon sandwich but we didn't get it through in the end but we did take that cup a 3d printed version of that cup onto this nearly zero gravity flight and i when i strapped into a chair with the cup that before we did it you took me to winter wonderland in high park and stuck me on this vertical this just this lift like a, a joy thing you ride adventure ride it takes you to the top and it just drops you with a mug of tea and all it was is you could film me with <laughs> Half a litre of tea going up my nostrils and dripping out of my eyeballs. Well, no, it's technically, no, it's technically, in NASA, they do use a thing called a drop shoot where they, they to, to experiment in slow motion with, with microgravity, they do have these long drop shoots where they, for you get about a second of microgravity, but we couldn't get to one of those. So we, yeah, you're right, we went to Winter Wonderland and the back, the but you got your own back to me. Imagine this brown fluid just 
dripping from my eyes and my nostrils and trying to speak but gurgling into camera it never made it onto the final <laughs> part though. yeah but it was the but i remember it was the bloody day after my work christmas party <laughs> i was hung over the only time we could get in the place was 6 a.m and i sat next to you and because you have absolutely no fear whatsoever you're like let's go do it again up we go and i every time we got to the top i was like oh god and you're like come on you'll be fine and i was like you're dropping and my stomach i was getting greener and i had such a sense of humor failure that day <laughs> <laughs> you were covered in tea well, i was almost throwing up and it was entirely pointless we got to learn nothing apart from the fact that going down no. very quickly means tea goes up very quickly exactly <laughs> but then when we did take that teacup into onto the flight the parabolic flight and there was that when that it came i it, i could drink we, we used just water with blue coloring um and it, and it worked it didn't come out the sh- this specially designed teacup like something out of alice in wonderland and um I did eventually get some out of the cup and then these little blue spheres were sort of floating in front of me. Um, and then we went to, they did another parabolic climb and I took the tin of the sausage sizzle prototype with me. So when we had the zero kind of gravity effect, open the tin, I'm trying to eat it. And I just, I, that's when I headbutted the ceiling and there was sausages and sauce splattered. I was like, sorry, sorry, sorry. This is they told us specifically no food on the plane either. <laughs> no, for course they did. They said, you're not allowed to take food on the plane. And we're like, we said, oh, it's not, it's not really food. It's just a tin of stuff. We're just going to look at it. And they're like, all right. And we took, and then within five minutes, Heston flying around, chasing a sausage and headbutting oh, all the astronauts. Some, oh, yeah. Some, one of the other people on the, on the flight, when we were floating, a sausage went past him and he hit it. He took his telephone. <laughs> And played tennis with it. He hit the sausage back to me with his telephone. That was a, that was another sort of uh, a surreal, unique moment. Then uh, I know we're running out of time, but I, before we go to the last, the, the, the last, you know, the actual end of the show, which really was quite, I have to say, quite emotional and one of the more memorable things that I've certainly done in my let's call it professional career was the, some of just the, the the questions that. When you lose some fear, you can start asking questions that you think everyone really wants to ask, but feel too stupid to ask. And I remember going on the one show with Tim, and I just thought of it. I was sitting on the sofa, and I thought, what happens when you want to have a poo in space with zero gravity? I had no idea. Anyway, it turns out that they, they have like a, a vacuum suction at the beginning uh, you, you you do the pushing and then eventually at some point the vacuum takes it takes takes over and there was some report of some very messy situations historically uh, it might have been in the 60s my god you just can't imagine what 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 that would be like but we also found things like you know they can't what they have to wash with the flannel stand they sleep standing up it's like a sleeping bag they strap themselves in but they don't really need to strap yourself in because upside down doesn't exist so you're standing up we saw it when on 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 land on 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 earth it's the sleeping bag the upright sleeping bag but when you're in space you're not actually standing up where you're standing up and laying down at the same time sort of thing so there was all these things that we that that, that we started to learn and then uh, and then um and then then this is the last thing before we go on to our, our, the, the, the 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 final frontier the final dinner was when we went to the space state, the space center, control center in Germany, and they put me on that seat and spun me around really fast, and then put me put my a sensor on my finger, and I had an oxygen mask on, and they were re- removing gradually removing my oxygen, displacing it, so my oxygen levels were falling, and they asked me to write 
do just add seven, so seven, 14, 21, 28, and then, and then write where you, um, write your address, write where you live. And when it got to a certain level, and normally we've run at what, 97 to 99% oxygen, but when it got down to, I can't remember, 80 odd, or, or maybe a bit uh, in the late 70s, mid 70s, I started to get tunnel vision. Couldn't, you couldn't add anything up. Yeah, you, I, I you couldn't it. work out my address, and I thought, completely and utterly useless. And the reason they did this was because you have to know if there's a leakage in the in the space station, you have to know what the feeling's like. You, that, I just did it once. They'd probably do it again and again and again to start getting the early warning signs that there could be a leak that needs fixing. So I thought that was really fascinating. I've forgotten about that bit. I've seen you spun around and then having the oxygen taken away. Yeah, because yeah, at one point I remember you signing your name and, and by the end of it, you, you were literally, you would look like you were poor. You couldn't do it. It was <laughs> And you had no idea, did you? You had no idea because they were doing it. There was that no. mad professor guy, wasn't it? He? he looked a bit like a Bond villain. He was uh, g- yes. giggling as he was taking the oxygen yeah, away. I was yeah. like, oh, okay. Actually, the room was a bit like something out of a James <laughs> Bond room. There was a big chamber and a chair that spun yeah, around. It was like the basement. And then I got tunnel vision. And I, it was really, it was very strange. One of the most joyous experiences, just following from what you said earlier, when we came to Earth after the zero-G flight, I remember uh, walking off the plane thinking, oh, bugger, I've got gravity back. It felt so free and wonderful and natural and normal to be in zero gravity. Suddenly, when you felt gravity come back on you, it was like, oh, God, this is so yeah, restrictive. walking off the plane. So, yeah, it was. It was, and and they did say you'll get you'll get zero gravity dreams for a while, and and I did for a few weeks afterwards. I had these wonderful dreams where you're just floating around, which is which is which is really special. So then then we all packed up and headed off to Munich Mission Control for you to have dinner with Tim on the space station. Oh, that was amazing! I remember so many memories from that film it was freezing cold to start with and i think i had a cold as well i remember having a stinking cold i don't get them very often when they when they come like it's proper man flu you know there was, was the only one in the world that's ever had a cold <laughs> and um and um we looked down there was the walkway above there were two main rooms and it was like something out of just what you imagine when you see the nasa control as something out of a james bond film a massive screen with a space station orbiting the earth and somebody telling us that they would it it goes twenty four thousand roughly kilometers an hour because that's the spin of the earth and it would go from penzance to john O'Groats in two minutes or something like that uh, that's the speed it's traveling at and you could see this just moving and then they had their schedule for the day uh, and you know downtime it, I mean they're full on they have to exercise a couple of hours a day because otherwise their bones because they don't have the, the, the gravity they need to they need to exercise on running machines with straps that keep them you know keep them on the running machine so they had all their lists and experiments and stuff obviously not detailed but then there was we were scheduled into it was just I remember seeing it in in the control center we were scheduled into their diary and I sat at the desk and we we laid a napkin cutlery (laughs) and my tin of food and then Tim popped up on screen and I remember there was a 20 second delay between talking and Tim hang on a second Heston it was funny, so I, the, the last time I saw him was on Earth. He just, one second, had the microphone, he just popped off camera, and he came back with a, with a tight, a, a T-shirt with a, um, a dicky bow 
like a, it was the, it was a dinner suit without the dinner jacket <laughs> and a t-shirt so he got dressed for dinner it was amazing and we had he is such a sweet lovely guy as um, well he really amazing. is amazing the mental strength the ability to be able to communicate you know you imagine the 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 nuances of character traits and that you'd have to the strength you have to have to be able to get on because if you if you fall out up there you know all sorts of things can happen so just the, the emotional element you have to have somebody that's you know the level of calmness he he was he was well he is still is a very impressive person to be around and and, and just sitting in the control center having dinner or lunch or breakfast upside down on the right way up who knows it was the longest dining table maybe ever because we ate together and we had a conversation <laughs> and it connected in back to earth i'm not saying my conversation but with the food i was feeling really emotional i had tears in my eyes i remember it so remember. so clearly yeah absolutely it was after the journey you'd been on to get there but also the fact that someone you knew pretty well by that point but the, the extreme situation he was in, but as you've always said, the ability of food to connect people, yeah. for two people to sit down and share a tin of food together and just have normal chat was wonderful. And I don't think any of us expected it to be quite so emotional, but it, no. it really was. I don't it? think I, I talk a lot about the, you know, after breathing, drinking and then eating and sleeping, then, then social connection, human bonding, probably, you know, talk about a hierarchical system, we need to, obviously breathe first and then drink water and eat food and sleep. Uh, what we consume, the, the food's ability, because we consume the planet, to connect us to the planet, connect us to other people and ourselves and the planet. Human connectivity through food, my God, I don't think, I, I don't know if I'll ever see a stronger example of that that happened. And, I, and you know, I was, I was off. I was, like, I was like watching a Bambi film as a, as a kid. I mean... <laughs> They were, they had water, very what an adventure eyes. it was. Yeah. What an adventure. That whole thing. I made TV shows incredibly challenging, you know, war zones and places like that, and nothing compared to this thing. This was so hard from start to finish. But when that moment in, in Mission Control, it all kind of felt worth it when he was up there. Yeah. And I know, like you say, in the grand scheme of NASA and all the millions and billions they spend on it, having a bacon sandwich up there, but it did make a difference to him and he yeah he was he was incredibly grateful i was just going to say one thing that you know i used to say in the kitchen uh, chefs think us chef us chefs think sometimes in the middle of the service we're the fourth emergency service but at the end of the day we're just cooking food and i used to say this a lot and i think hang on a second just cooking fire and cooking made us human amongst many other things but that's what that making fire is possibly the single most unique evolutionary action that we think that we that, that we did making fire and then and then cooking the food that we hunted and gathered as a team on that fire and digesting it and evolving so when you say we're just cooking food i'm not talking about us as chefs I mean, anyone is just cooking food in fact it's just cooking food that is one of the biggest reasons we've evolved in the way that we have as human beings and without just cooking food we would never have a state the space station very nice we sure <laughs> drop the mic drop the mic, oh, it, drop and, the mic. Or, 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 well now it's the piers morgan exit isn't it it's just yeah, I'm, off. <laughs> I'm off i'm off i'm, <laughs> off. I'm done well on that lovely note we shall leave outer space uh and 
call it a day here. Please do get in touch with us about anything you're thinking. We do love getting correspondences at Heston's Podcast on Instagram or Heston's Podcast at gmail.com for emails. And do rate, subscribe, join in. We love having you there with us and enjoying these adventures. But for now, for our trip to the space station and back, Heston and James, of course. Heston, thank you ever so much. Goodbye. Bye, everyone.